the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed. Here we are, and uh, there you are. So we're all together. <laughs> well, through the magic of radio, anyway. Good to be with you, and uh, always a delight to spend some time here on an afternoon talking about what's going on in the world. Hopefully uh, keep you company, maybe keep you informed, entertained maybe along the way, and uh, hopefully by the end of the proceedings, a good time will be had by all. Um, we're going to, uh, tonight in the second hour, continue our tribute to Dr. Charles Stanley and uh, have a bit of a blast from the past of an um, interview that we recorded a bit ago with him. And then uh, jumping ahead to Friday, um, we have received emails and calls from a number of listeners wanting to know where there'll be more, and uh, we'd like to uh, be able to uh, maybe record it or invite friends to tune in. Well, on Friday, we'll present two solid hours of past conversations with Charles Stanley and, um, Maybe you'll even have a smile or two or, or maybe a couple of tears listening to me from 20-something plus 25. I think one of the recordings goes back almost 30 years ago. I was just a babe, just a babe in, in, in swallowed clothes. Anyway, um, that'll be coming up on the Friday edition of Lifeline. Today, um, some serious stuff to lead off the program. Let me start by just sharing a bit of personal perspective. Um, this is probably 20 years ago when my grandmother passed away. My father, who had always been self-employed individual, was very fortunate in that upon my grandmother's passing, he was able to rent out my grandmother's home to help support and supplement his retirement income. And it was, a, it was a tremendous blessing. Sadly, recently, voters in California took away that ability. And to, to sort of give you the shorthand, in February of 21, Proposition 19 went into effect in California. And it Proposition 21 essentially says that unlike historical times, going back to the passage of Prop 13 that, that puts a cap on the amount of increase each year of property taxes, which you can imagine in a state like California, had Prop 13 not been in existence, I, I would venture to say maybe half of the state would be homeless right now. Prop 13 really allowed Californians, and particularly retired Californians, to keep their homes and not have to worry about what's going to happen every year when they adjust my property taxes. Now, that said, those who inherit property now under Proposition 19, went into effect again in February of 21, basically have a year to, as the son or grandchild of the property owner, 
They have a year to make that home their permanent residence, meaning you can't rent it out. You have to move into it. And if you fail to do so within that year, the property will be reassessed at the current market value. In the case of many people, including what would have happened to my own father, it would have gone from property taxes of a couple of thousand dollars a year to tens of thousands of dollars a year, effectively forcing people to sell, which, by the way, was the entire motivation by the California Realtors who banded together to help craft this legislation under the guise, as we'll learn from our guest tonight, of providing some tax portability in Prop 13 for folks that are 65 and wish to retire and take that reduced rate with them, but creating a whole other set of sales revenue by forcing potentially thousands of Californians over time to sell their homes because the homes that they've inherited from their parents because they just can't afford it and they choose not to live there. Let's find out more. Susan Shelley is with us today, president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Susan, thank you for being with us today and um, kind of give us a bit more background as to what is going on in relationship to the this particular proposition, Proposition 19, and what's being done most importantly to try to eliminate this so-called death tax that can literally hurt thousands of Californians. Well, thank you for inviting me, Craig, because this is so important. And your personal story is a perfect illustration of how this is affecting regular people. Not it, sometimes they talked when they were when this was on the ballot about Malibu gazillionaires. This is not about Malibu gazillionaires. This is about regular people who have invested over their whole lifetime in some real estate, and they would like to leave something to their kids. But because of Prop 19, those inheritances are now taxed at market value and that is completely unaffordable given what's happened to real estate values in California, especially in, in Northern California and the Bay Area. It's just been skyrocketing year after year. And if you have to pay one percent of the current market value of that property you inherit, likely you will have to sell it. And even if you move in, it's a limited exclusion from reassessment. So you could still get a tax increase. If it's worth a lot of money, it could still hit you with thousands of dollars in additional taxes every year as a condition of keeping what you already own. And that's the real tragedy of property tax. It's not like income tax, which is taxed once on the way in, or sales tax, which is taxed once on the way out. Property tax is every year as a condition of keeping your property. And that makes it extremely brutal for families in this situation. But as you said, the good news is we're doing something about it. Now, last year, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association tried to collect signatures for an initiative to reverse this death tax. We call it a death tax because it happens to people when somebody dies and you get this letter from the assessor with the sympathy cards in the mail. It's terrible. So what we're doing... We didn't quite make it for the signature collection for an initiative last year. But now we have, we have found some legislators in Sacramento who are with us on this issue. And they have introduced, as a Senate constitutional amendment, SCA 4, which will put back the old rules so that once again, families will be able to transfer a home of any value and up to a million dollars of assessed value of other property. And that covers a duplex, a rental home, a a, a small business, maybe a restaurant that a family invested in. 
and they want to pass that to the next generation. And now, under Prop 19, reassess to market value. And some of these businesses, these small businesses that have had just a horrific three years, and maybe they finally got through the pandemic and they're on their feet, and then somebody passes away and the property goes to the next generation, reassess to market value with a huge tax increase. All these properties will be sold, probably demolished, and something else will go up there. And we could lose a lot of affordable housing because of this, because small apartment buildings that have mom and pop landlords will be sold and they'll be gone. And this is a tragedy. You know, the sad thing with this entire uh, proposition as passed, it was really a, a Trojan, Trojan horse, wasn't it, uh, yes. Susan, in that all of the advertising and marketing, and again, I, I want to be clear, I'm not picking on people that are in the real estate industry, but guess who benefits the most? People in the real estate industry, and, and of course, the, the coffers in Sacramento. But it essentially was marketed under the idea that it would allow seniors to be able to sell their current home move somewhere else in the state, take their tax base with them, not in all cases, but in many cases. And so I think on on that guy's Californians voted in favor of Prop 19, not realizing that there was a secondary and even larger gotcha built in. It's the gotcha that you just explained, the notion that upon death, instead of being able to inherit the family home and inherit the family tax base, you inherit, inherit the home, and if you don't meet all the provisions within the time allotted, you're now going to get your own new, <laughs> completely revised tax base, which, as I mentioned, for a lot of cases, like in the example of my father, he would have been forced to sell my grandmother's home. Mm-hmm. Because the ability to generate income from the property plus pay the taxes would have been a non sequitur. It just wouldn't have made any sense. And so, you know, the, the state certainly would have benefited from it. Any real estate agent that would have gotten the deal would have benefited from it. The only one that would have suffered would have been my own family. That's exactly right. And when you sell property in high inflation times, which is what we are in, you have the cash and somebody else has the asset. So the cash is losing value to inflation, sitting in your bank account at 0.01%. You're losing value, and the asset is still appreciating, but somebody else owns it. And this is knocking people off the economic ladder, just as they're starting to get a toehold on it, which is just unforgivable. You know, families in every community are experiencing this because of the skyrocketing value of real estate, which is out of your control. You can't control that. What's interesting, and the reason I'm optimistic that this might get through the legislature, and by the way, this has to go on the ballot. It's a constitutional amendment, and it can get there two ways, either with a two-thirds vote in each house of the legislature or with an initiative, which we can do, and we're ready to do it. But if it can get a two-thirds vote in each house, than it can get on the ballot. And I'm optimistic because this is the second time this issue has come up in California as a crisis. The first time was a few years after Prop 13 passed, which is 1978. And then inflation was pushing up those values and people started to inherit property. And under the rules at that time, that was a change of ownership and they were reassessed. Well, so intense was the political pressure that the legislature passed this parent-child exclusion unanimously and put it on the ballot. It was Prop 58 and it got 75% of the vote from the public. And now it's gone. It's gone. 
as a footnote in Prop 19 behind all that other stuff you described, the wildfire victims, the senior transfer, all of that. Now, we are not going to change any of those portions of it, just the death tax. And I think it's so critically important. I mean, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper after the break, but I want listeners to understand here that this was a real bait and switch. And taxpayers went to the polls. They heard, oh, you can sell your home when you retire, move elsewhere in the state, take your property tax rate with you. Sounds wonderful. Why did most Californians vote for it? I'm going to speculate that the reason why is because they recognize that we pay highest sales tax in the nation here in California. We have the highest cost of living. In fact, I just read a report today that of the top three most expensive cities in the entire nation, San Francisco came in at number three. And of course, if you rent a home in the Bay Area or pay a mortgage in the Bay Area, you know how expensive it is to live here. The one saving grace that was frankly sort of the uh, the thing that retirees were counting on, and that is that when mom and dad would pass away, there would be the ability to inherit the family home, put it up for rent, and be able to use that income, and then hopefully pass that that piece of property on generationally. That was stripped away from us. And I think that it was quite intentional. Again, you know, it was, uh, look over here, you know, hey, look at this shiny object. You can take your tax rate with you if you choose to sell once you retire. Sounds great. Oh, by the way, when you pass away, we're going to penalize your kids. And the ability to pass along that generational wealth, which in most cases, the difference between survival or being forced to move out of state, (coughs) it's just criminal, quite frankly. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Susan Shelley is with us today. We are talking about reinstating Prop 58. By the way, you can get information on the web at reinstate58.hjta. Think Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, hjta.org. Reinstate58.hjta.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you're uh, listening to our conversation tonight on the Terrestrial Signal, you just heard an ad talking about stabilizing your retirement income. Well, a lot of Californians thought they had just that, thought they had been blessed by the ability to put generational inheritance to work for the family and, and pass that legacy along. Unfortunately, through a bit of political sleight of hand and the passage of Proposition 19 a few years ago, kind of robbed that from Californians. Uh, Now essentially stating that um, once a parent dies, they leave the home to a child. The child has a year and some other conditions to meet to make that home their home, their primary residence, or it will be reassessed, oftentimes jumping the annual tax rate from a few thousand to tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, as we're talking today with Susan Shelley, president of communications with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, you mentioned, Susan, about part of this being kind of promoted because they were trying to, you know, sort of get a clamp down on Malibu gazillionaires. Of course, the absolute irony there is if you're a Malibu gazillionaire or son of or daughter of one, you probably have the wherewithal to pay the higher tax rate. What this really does is punish some common, everyday, middle-class, working Californians and and do it in a pretty significant fashion. I mean, I I would be heartbroken if I thought I had to sell, was forced to sell the family home simply because I couldn't do something like pay the property taxes. 
You're so right. And it's it's just brutal on people who are not complicated, sophisticated investors with real estate investment trusts and all kinds of uh, all kinds of fancy arrangements with lawyers and accountants. This is regular people who bought a house and worked for 30 years to pay it off and give it to their kids. And maybe along the way, they bought a rental property for extra income and they want to leave that to their kids. And it's just being decimated. As soon as they pass away, everybody gets a letter from the assessor. And if it was the primary residence of your parent and you move into it within one year, you get the old tax bill and you get protection for a million dollars of extra value. But if it's worth more than the old tax bill and the million dollars, everything above that, you're taxed at new market rate. So your taxes could go up thousands of dollars a year anyway, even if you move in and make it the permanent primary residence. And it's in one year and you have to fill out paperwork. And this is your property. What right does the government have to come in and declare that because someone passed away, suddenly you can't keep your family property? That's just devastating. Undoubtedly. For listeners that uh, are maybe just coming to the realization of this and we're thinking, wow, if this thing remains law in California as it is today, all of the plans that we had for future retirement, for maybe even using cash flow from an inherited piece of property to pay for a child's education, all of that gets blown out of the water. For people that are just realizing this, Susan, help us understand what we can do to help partner with Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association to get SCA 4 passed? Well, the most important thing is to call your representatives. And if you're not sure who they are after redistricting and you don't have their number handy, go to findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. Findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. And look them up and call the Sacramento office. Ring the phone. You can send email also. I personally think they just don't pay attention to email, but talk to somebody and tell them how important this is to your family and that you think your representatives should become co-authors of SCA4. That's the legislation that will fix this, SCA4. Just ask them to support it. Ask them to co-author it. Make sure they understand that this is not just another piece of legislation. This is the future for California families. We have down through the years watched the reckless spending in Sacramento. We're hearing debates going on on Capitol Hill about raising the cap on the federal debt to deal with the reckless spending in Washington, D.C. And and this is how politicians get away with it. They kind of sneak these things in, and before you know it, they have the capacity to do spend more, then they bring in more through increased taxes, and they spend more, and oftentimes very little accountability whatsoever. Every one of us, if not directly impacted by the existence of Proposition 19 that, again, went into effect back in February of 21. If you yourself will not be harmed by this, I'm going to guarantee you, you know dozens of people, neighbors, friends, co-workers, folks you go to church with, folks that you're involved with socially, that will be negatively impacted by this and will literally be forced to sell the family home simply because they can no longer afford to keep it because of this political and economic sleight of hand, this bait and switch that took place that unfortunately voters didn't clearly understand the ramifications of passing Proposition 19. 
And again, it was supported by the Realtors Association here in California. Why? Because they knew this was going to trigger tens of thousands of forced sales across the state. Let me get my 6%, right? Well, let's, let's stand and protect our families, protect that family financial legacy. And Susan, you said it best. Most of the families that will be impacted are families that scrimped and scraped for years to finally pay off the mortgage. That's the one and oftentimes the the single asset of value. And to see this pulled away from people is just absolutely criminal. So uh, as Susan suggests, the first thing to do is to find out who your representative is. If you don't know, go online, findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. That's findyourrep.legislature.ca.gov. And ask them to become a co-sponsor, a co-author of SCA four and let them know you're going to be impacted by this if this particular measure this proposition 19 doesn't get overturned and you will make sure that you remember it when you go to the ballot box next time if they don't sign on board susan as always we appreciate the tremendous job that the howard jarvis taxpayers association does i had a chance to interview howard a couple of times way back in the day and we sure love all the work and the lasting legacy that he has left behind thank you so much for your time today Thank you so much, Craig. It was a great honor. Susan Shelley again, President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. More information again available on the web at reinstate58.hjta.org. That's reinstate58.hjta.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And just a quick reminder, we're going to continue our tribute to the late Dr. Charles Stanley coming up tonight in the 6 o'clock hour as we reprise a uh, interview from a couple of years, conversation from a couple of years ago. Friday is going to be a real treat. We've got two solid hours of Dr. Stanley. And... Uh, It'll be a treat and maybe a laugh or two listening to Craig Roberts from uh, 27, 28 <laughs> something years ago. So uh, be sure to tune in for that. It'll be a blessed time. Uh, he's impacted the lives of so many. And uh, we are um, saddened on the news of his passing, which I mentioned on the program yesterday. And yet, uh, you know, as always, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, again, Friday, we'll have a solid two-hour tribute to Dr. Stanley. We'll continue part of that tonight, coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. The issue related to um, the post-decision by the Supreme Court related to vacating Roe versus Wade, uh, which was 49 years in the making. Well, all that's happened in the landscape related to abortion in America since then, one needs a scorecard to keep track. Let me give you at least a bit of an update as to where things are at the very moment. Wednesday, a federal appeals court said that abortion abortifacients can remain available but placed restrictions on sending the so-called abortifacients via the mail. The move freezes parts of a Texas judge's order issued last week that would have suspended the FDA's approval of the bill, the ruling likely to continue complicating abortion access across the country. And, of course, one big part of this is that it's bringing to light something that we've talked about on this program going back, my goodness, almost 20 years, and that is the fact that the FDA never really fully invested Investigated the impact of abortifacients like RU486, for example, and its side effects in the fashion in which it, it 
terminates the pregnancy, it also does complete havoc on hormonal balance in a woman. And yet they never took the time to really engage in serious studies. And so um, in this next step in the battle, we get an update from Karen Rosenberry. Uh, Karen is the spokesperson with the California Pro-Life Council. And Karen, great to have you back on the program. Uh, give us a bit more uh, illuminance, if you would, as to where this particular issue currently stands. Sounds great. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate being back. It's good being able to talk with you. So, yes, you know, the, the abortion pill, RU486, um, the uh, process by which uh, women um, have an abortion through a chemically induced uh, process um, using the uh, the mifepristine, uh, really uh, also sometimes known as, as mifeprex, um, really does hinge on so many of the changes that have happened um, with this drug um, since it was approved in 2000, as you were indicating. And so uh, the relied on uh, tests from uh, Europe and Germany in 1980 um, and then uh, went through um, in, in 2000, but you're absolutely correct. It never actually tested for women under the age of 18, um, and we've consistently seen um, the effects of the fact that it's starving the baby, um, it's cutting off progesterone um, during pregnancy, which is, is what ends the life of the baby um, and then uh, is expelled um, with the second drug that is actually used. And so what happened in, in 2016 uh, was that even the precautions that were put in place for the approval of this drug were rolled back to a, a much more risky level. Uh, in, in 2011, uh, it was noted that they actually um, needed to go through uh, a uh, risk evaluation mitiga mitigation strategy for the use of this drug um, because there were complaints and there were issues that were arising. And in 2016, uh, many of those safeguards were rolled back during the Obama administration. And what's happening now in these court cases is that there's a close look being taken at what the FDA actually did without going through the appropriate procedures that are in place to protect the, the citizens and to protect those that rely on FDA approval um, to know whether or not something is safe. And essentially, those safeguards were just rolled back without data, without tests, and without any appropriate uh, precautions being taken. And so... They increased the gestational age um, for which um, the, the drug could be used. Uh, they removed the, the need for the three doctor's visits, which were for very distinct reasons. So they needed to determine gestational age. They needed to be able um, to ensure that the, nothing remained um, after um, the abortion. And with those safeguards being stripped, uh, women are just being put in danger. And we know that abortion hurts women. Medical abortion um, hurts women uh, as well. And we've even seen a rises um, in ER visits. And so it, it's really indicative um, on the courts um, to, to look at this and to hold the FDA accountable. You know, the irony here, of course, is, and this is a long time history in not only issues like abortifacients, but even abortion overall. We, we know that it's harmful 100% of the time to the child. Um, yeah. What we're not so clear on and what is generally hidden from the public 
is the harm that can be felt by a woman. And I'm not talking about just the emotional, um, psychological harm that oftentimes arises. We've interviewed women on this program many times down through the years who have um, gone through an abortion earlier in life, then met the man of their dreams, got married, wanted to plan and start a family, and could no longer conceive. And the guilt that that creates, uh, the conflict that it creates within a marriage is just, uh, it's insurmountable. And I think what's particularly troubling about the approach that the FDA took to um, abortifacients back, as I say, 20-something years ago when they were first rolled out was not only the lack of of, of really in-depth, rigorous research and testing, but the fact that even to this very day, it's promoted as kind of a, you know, uh, an easy, simple solution. I mean, who of us in the audience that have dealt with any kind of sickness or disease, if the doctor says, well, just take this pill, you'll be fine, we, we suddenly get the, the, the calming sense that, oh, all I need to do is take the pill. The doctor would never give me anything that would be harmful, and this is going to solve all of my problems. This is going to cure me. This is going to heal me. This is going to set my life. Uh, straight back on track health-wise again with not giving a thought to the possibility that there may be severe and dire side effects. We assume, well, the doctor has prescribed it, so the doctor certainly has taken all this into consideration. And yet, sadly, quite often that isn't the case. And nobody is there to medically follow up with a woman to make sure that there hasn't been uh, significant side effects that could, you know, have effects that go on for years to come. You're absolutely correct. It, it's negligent to not have follow-ups. It, it's negligent to send a woman home for a do-it-yourself abortion procedure. That is that is absurd. Uh, that is, no other medical procedure in the country would be. Of this level of this gravity, here, take this, go home, you'll be fine. And that's why we're seeing this uptick in ER visits. And and it's even more kind of insidious than that in the fact that oftentimes they're told, you know what, if, if you do have these problems, just, just go ahead and report that you're just having a miscarriage. You don't need to report that, you know, you, you that it was induced, you know, as, as a result of these drugs. And so they can't even necessarily get the appropriate treatment and it certainly has been skewing reporting data on just the fact that these drugs are not nearly as safe as they are claimed to be. Yeah, and sadly, as you point out, there's no real requisite in terms of uh, side effect reporting. And, of course, if you take the doctor out of the picture and suddenly this is all being done through the mails, well, the doctor's not mm-hmm. going to even be there. And so you, you have to wonder, with that reporting and follow-up disconnect, um, the, the, the fact that we're putting 100% of the liability on the woman, and the woman's just taking the advertising, so to speak, word for it. And, and I think that's tragic. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I think it's, it really is why it is so imperative that, that our courts look to this so-called approval process and really do hold the FDA accountable. Again, we rely on the FDA to, to approve these drugs in a manner that is prescribed with the procedures that have been laid out for 
appropriate safety precautions, appropriate testing, appropriate data. And to say, oh, well, it's been in use for 20 years and so it's been fine, that's not testing, that's not data, that's not concrete based off of everything that we're discussing when so many cases have gone unreported. If the FDA can't go back and document why they have made the decisions to roll back safeguards that were previously implemented and that were intrinsic to the approval process and then dismissed those. Again, that's where the distrust comes in. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, we have to, you know, make sure that, you know, we're not going to see this distrust of other, you know, FDA approved drugs and, and you know, the, the process and the procedure. They didn't hold to their procedural standards and that should be held accountable and that's honestly not even really a discussion about the merits of, of abortion, which obviously you and I and probably all of the listeners want to hold that conversation as well. But this is simply about holding the FDA accountable to their own prescribed procedures for what is safe in terms of regulatory practice. Absolutely. At the end of the day, ultimately protecting a woman's health, fully informed so that they can make a fully informed decision. Karen Roseberry, we appreciate the update. Karen, again, is spokesperson with the California Pro-Life Council. More information available on the web, go to CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. 545 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you know, every year during the 1st of January, so often many of us will look to resolutions. We'll promise ourselves everything from trying to get more exercise, to lose weight, to perhaps uh, be more dutiful at being involved in ministry at church, spending more time with our wife, our kids. All of these things which are certain key and important to life. When we think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions perhaps that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer or two, and that is understanding specifically what God wants of us, through us, and in our lives. Essentially, trying to understand what is His will for my life. As we enter in this new season of new beginnings here in the typical January, learning how to reach your full potential for God. Certainly no stranger to the KFAX listeners. He is the host of In Touch, heard weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And pleased to have with us today, Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, Pastor, great to have you on the program. Well, delighted to be with you, Craig. You know, we think about, again, New Year's and new beginnings and resolutions and so forth. I can't imagine any bigger question than most of us can ask ourselves. And maybe it's one that we ask not only at the beginning of, of a new year, but at certain uh, key marks in life, be it uh, when we get married, when we retire, when we find a new job, when we perhaps are going to become a parent. And that is struggling to answer this question, learn more about what God wants of us and how to fully reach our potential for God. Well, what he wants above everything else in our life is a personal, intimate relationship with himself. Everything else he can do. But that is something we have to yield to with him. And when you think about all the ways that he works in our life, ultimately, that's his will. And so he's willing, because that's his purpose and his will, he's willing to do whatever's necessary in our life 
to enable us to develop that relationship. And when that relationship is right, everything else is going to get right because the truth is every aspect of our life flows out of and is influenced and impacted by a personal relationship with Him. So when somebody says, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can know. Because if he has a will, he certainly isn't going to keep it a secret. He's willing to show us if we're willing to submit ourselves. And I think a lot of people want to know the will of God in order to consider it, not to do it. And God doesn't play those kind of games. And you know, it's interesting. I think about um, so many of us that as we came to Christ, if uh, perhaps a friend or a loved one uh, shared the gospel message with us. So one of the, the four key steps to salvation, understanding that God has a plan for our life. And of course, that goes beyond simply the relationship and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with him, but then ultimately into what it is that he wants to do in us and through us. And I found it interesting. In some of your opening remarks to this Thomas Nelson book, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never never Settle for Less Than His Best, you talk about the fact that God impressed upon your heart that to understand fully what God wants to do in us and through us, you have to approach this at the get-go with a clean heart, a clear mind, and a balanced schedule. I have to tell you, those three items alone caught my attention. Well, that's the way it is. And I woke up one morning about three o'clock and out of a dead sleep and it's like the Lord said do you want to reach your full potential for your life and I said well sure and so I thought I didn't know what was going on but I pulled out a pad and a pen I keep by my bed and so as I began to just be quiet and listen the Lord just laid out all seven of those points uh, to me very clearly and when you think about it I, I thought, well, now, am I sure this is of God? And I looked at him again and again, and I thought, yes, because this is the way he thinks. First of all, a clean heart and a clear mind. In other words, and a balanced schedule, that is, that he has the proper time that he needs to work in our life. And if my, if my, heart's, not, if my heart's not clean, my mind is not going to really be clear. And I'm not going to operate in my life on his schedule. And when we're operating on his schedule, we can't do our best and we won't do our best. So, so much of this really reaching our full potential in the Lord, whatever that might be, and certainly it, it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and, and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of his fellowship then, don't we? That, that This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord. They can't be something that's just sort of approached uh, casually. Absolutely, and this is why I said in the very beginning, our personal intimate relationship with him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because in order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asked me to do this or suppose he asked me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best. 
I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, uh, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things like that? I mean, is he is he of the character that he's going to surprise us and, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do? There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right. But they're coming from the perspective that, that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity. But it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God? In other words, do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, who wants to show me his will, provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person he wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good. And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on Him. And so if we put Him first in life, and He is the central, He is uh, our our heart's desire, so to speak, uh, that as He comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to His name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what He wants for us and discovering and reaching our full potential for Him, uh, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well. And... When he says if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize that he must be central in our life. That if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this. What's pleasing to God? What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. But what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, but Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in the pulpit and proclaim the word of God. I don't have a degree in anything. I'm I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me? I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not uh, comparing ourselves with others. We think about what we have and don't have. Then we're comparing ourselves with others. The question is, what has God given me? And what is God able to do with what he has given me? And the truth is, we would say, well, God is does the impossible. But many people have problems with this because they have a poor self-image. Uh, they have uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing. They have lots of fears. They're, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid of what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best, 
All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide what he wants to do with us. And, you know, so much of this comes back down to, I think, one of the central points when we talked earlier about a clean heart, clear mind, and a balanced schedule. That that word balance is so key to this. Uh, speaking to uh, Jim Dobson uh, on the occasion of his retirement from full-time ministry and looking back over the course of 30 years of ministry with focus on the family and, of course, the big question, could you ever have imagined in the 1970s when you began with one little radio station down in Southern California that this ministry would ever grow to the level and potential that it has to become now this international outreach? And, of course, the response, you know, if I had known what this would have grown to, I would have been scared to death and too afraid to start it. I think sometimes we need to realize that it's good if we have a sense that we aren't fully capable, that we can't do it in and all of ourselves, because if we felt otherwise, then there would be in many levels no sense or no need for God. Absolutely. And I think the spirit, the spirit of, of inadequacy that is based on a true genuine understanding of who God is and His holiness is always healthy. And once we step out of line with that sense of personal inadequacy, uh, pride, arrogance, and everything else gets in the way, and we're not going to be able to be used by God. He's not going to use arrogance. Dr. Charles Stanley, my guest on this edition of Lifeline, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best, published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a brief time out when we come back, learning how to move beyond the settled for life as our conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 